Lord, uh, once again, we are coming to you tonight on Wednesday. God, we've made the effort. We've taken the time, Lord. And we just want to put our attention upon you. And I, I hope that everyone has a, already in our worship time. It just draws us to your feet, God. And now that we're here, Lord, we want to hear from you. And I pray you'd speak to us through your word. And I pray, God, that you would give us a word, Lord, that you would use what we're studying tonight, God, to come and speak a word into our hearts that would change us, transform us, that would enlighten us and, and reveal some things about you, your word, about us and your truth. So help us tonight, God, to hear your voice and to be able to change. So I ask for the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon your word, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard about a man who had he got down on his knees to pray because he really wanted to win this new car because his old car just totally broke down and died. So there's this sweepstakes going on. So he got on his knees and he folded his hands and he prayed, Dear God, please let me win the new car in the sweepstakes. I can't get to work right now. I don't want to lose my job. I won't be able to buy food. Please, Lord, I really need your help. Well, he found out the next day he didn't win. So the next day, that day, he, the man prays again because he found out there's two more new cars being given away in each successive day. So he cries out again. He says, please, God, let me win this next car. I can't get to work. I, I, I can't lose my job or I can't live. Please, Lord, I could really use your help on this. Well, he didn't win that car. So on the third day, he gets on his knees again. He folds his hand. He starts into praying. He begins to plead before the Lord as he did before. And suddenly, God interrupts him and gives him a word. Now, my precious child, work with me here. Buy a ticket. <laughs> he never bought that ticket, that raffle. <laughs> well, I would say the man was missing that which is very important to do, right? That one thing. Well, in our study tonight in the Gospel of Luke, we come to the account of the rich young ruler who approached Jesus about his place in the kingdom of God. And actually, Jesus shows this man that he is still missing one thing. And that's the title of our message tonight, Still Missing One Thing. Now we're going to be studying Luke chapter 18 as we've been in here and as we've been making our way through this chapter. We're now in verse 18 through verse 30 and that's our study tonight. And so in this section we're going to see four things. Jesus really exposes first of all what he wanted to hear. Secondly, he gives him what he needed to hear. And then Jesus talks about what he should have found and what he could have found. So that's our outline tonight, what he wanted to hear, what he needed to hear, what he should have found, and what he could have found. So let's begin number one here. Still missing one thing, this rich young ruler. Number one in our outline, what he wanted to hear. What he wanted to hear. Now, in this section, we're going to cover two verses, verses 18 and 19. And let's go ahead and, and look at these verses. Verse 18, Luke chapter 18 says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now we'll stop right there. We begin here now with Luke, the author of this gospel, he's bringing this story of the rich young ruler. And also we find parallel accounts of that in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10. Now, in the book of Luke, he puts it here because this story really contrasts with what Jesus just said in verse 17, that basically God must be approached like in childlike faith and trust. You remember we saw that last week. We ended with verse 17 last week. Well, here this, this rich young man comes not in simple faith and trust and believing what Jesus said, but he comes in with pride that has blinded him 
to actually just keep to his own way of thinking. So Luke brings us in sort of in a contrast to what Jesus just talked about. So here we have in verse 18 this ruler we see here. This ruler asks, and this ruler comes and approaches Jesus. Now, most likely he is a leader of a local Jewish synagogue, and he, and he holds a high position. Matthew 19.20 in the parallel passage there tells us that he's young. In Mark chapter 10, verse 22, in that parallel passage of this story, it says that he has great possessions. And right here in Luke, in verse 23, it says that he is extremely rich. So here's this young man. He's, he's, top, he's on the top of the world right now. He's the top of the Jewish social ladder. He lived richly. The whole community knew about him. And so here comes this rich young ruler and he comes to Jesus and he approaches Jesus now and he asks Jesus, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do basically to get into heaven, to have eternal life? Now, it sounds very sincere. It sounds like with this question that Maybe he is really seeking God on this. And, and it could be. It could be. The commentators kind of differ on the attitude of his heart. And, but I, I, I feel this. I feel like this rich young ruler just wanted to sort of show off and get confirmation that he had secured eternal life already. And you could keep that in mind as the story unfolds before us. So, uh, that's why, really, I, I think he has that kind of attitude coming in, like, yeah, I got it together, I'm okay, right? And and that's why we see Jesus, now in verse 19, responds to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus first asks him, or really answers him with a question, right? So Jesus doesn't answer his question right away, but he, he asks him, why call me good? See, this young man did not come to Jesus and just say, teacher or master or rabbi. But he prefaced that with that adjective of good in front of teacher. Now, he came to Jesus in respect, calling him teacher or rabbi, or um, uh, it, it could be even translated master. But he puts good in front of teacher. And understand this. No rabbi, no teacher would ever allow himself to be called good because that's only reserved for God. Because that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, no one is good except for God alone. You see, it was common knowledge that only God alone is quote-unquote good, quote-unquote perfect, holy, and righteous. No human being is that. So, so no rabbi, no teacher would ever say, hey, don't call me that. You know, that's only for God. So here's this young, rich guy coming to Jesus and says, hey, good teacher. And Jesus is like, oh, okay, why, why are you calling me good? Why, why are you calling me that? Now, it's not that Jesus is denying his deity. We know Jesus is God. He is good. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous, right? But Jesus is really challenging him, confronting him on, is this what you really believe? Jesus is really asking him, do you realize what you call me? Yeah. Do you really believe that I am God? Is that why you're saying that? If that's true, will you really listen to what I have to say? Because God's speaking and we should listen to whatever God says. It's like Jesus is asking are you not willing to listen, but are you prepared to do what I, God, requires? Because if you really believe that, then you got to do it, right? C.H. Uh, Spurgeon said, believing and obeying always run side by side, yeah? If you really believe, then you're going to obey. If you really say, oh, God said this, then you should do what God says. So we see if See here, first of all, in these two verses, Jesus challenged the ears of the man who only really came to hear what he wanted to hear. And that's what I want you to kind of get a grasp of here. So Jesus is challenging him. He's, he's questioning him. Are, are you really here for that? Or are you just, 
you know, here, because you, you want me to say something that you want to hear. So Jesus, right in verse 19, challenged the ears of the man who only came to hear actually what he wanted to hear. You know, I, I was thinking about, I, I'm, it's it's almost 30 years of ministry that I've been in as a, as a pastor. I, I, was, I was serving in different ways even before that. But, you know, I was thinking as a pastor, how many times have I seen people come up to me uh, to, to get counsel, to ask for advice? And, and, but it's only really to try and get approval for what they want to do. I mean, they call me and meet with me and say, Oh, pastor. Yeah, or or you're my pastor, they'll say, and 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 that makes me feel good sometimes, you know. But they they'll say that, and 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 then they they ask me things, and and I, as I am talking story with them and hearing, you know, what they they're asking, I can soon see that they just want me to validate their decision, validate some choice they gotta make, or validate their lifestyle. But I will always bring, well, you know what, this is what the Bible says. And, and it's not me, it's, it's what God is saying. And this is what I think, you know, you should, you should do. And if they don't hear what they want to hear, you know what, they end up going to someone else. And, and through the years, I've seen that. Oh, I don't, I was an associate pastor. So they went to the other associate pastor. And they went and asked him the same question, thinking, you know, what do they think? They're going to get a different answer, you know? And sometimes they go to another church. Sometimes they leave the church because they didn't get what they wanted in the way that they wanted. And so Jesus knows this. Jesus can feel this. So that's why he puts this out. You call me good? Are, are, are you sure about that? You know. So Jesus challenged the ears of the man who only came to hear what he wanted to hear. Now, if you really say you believe in God's word then you have to ask yourself, are you willing to submit to it? If you really believe that this is God wrote this, yeah? He communicated this, and what's in here is God's word. If you really say you believe that, then are you willing to submit to what it says here? Or do you obey as long as it fits into what you want, yeah? Maybe you, you, you go, ah, I don't like that, I'm, I'm going to skip that. You know, oh yeah, this is the one. See, God's word says, yeah. If you do that, this is upside down, right? It's like this young man who really came. Think about this to use Jesus, yeah, to, to for his own gain, yeah. He only came to hear what he wanted to hear and be validated for that. So he came really to hear what he wanted to hear. Well, let's go on to number two in our outline, what he needed to hear, what he needed to hear. We're going to be covering verse 20 through 23 in this section. And look at verse 20 and 21 now, the next two verses. Verse 20 says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And... And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, Jesus then just goes on to really answer the question of this man, you know, uh, to really answer, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus starts to talk with him about this. And and, and he, he asks him, well, you, you know the commandments. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus lists these commandments, basically saying, have you followed these? Have you obeyed these? Have you lived your life according to these commandments? And so Jesus goes on to answer this question. So, you know, the man's like, do, do I, can I secure, do I have a secure place in heaven? Well, Jesus says, well, you know, you're, you're familiar with the commandments. And he lists the commandments. And, and really he lists uh, a certain number of the commandments. Like, first of all, Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. So he puts that out. Commandment number six, do not murder. And this is all in Exodus 20, the command, ten commandments that Moses got. Commandment number eight, do not steal. Or commandment number nine, do uh, not bear false witness. And commandment number five, which is honor your father and mother. 
So Jesus puts out these commandments. Says, well, you know about them. How about these commandments? He puts them out. Now, understand something here. Jesus is not saying that you can go to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. We understand that, right? Uh, I've taught you guys several times, right? We're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So he's not saying by works you can be saved. But what Jesus is doing is he's leading this young man to compare himself to the standard of the law. So he's just bringing out the Ten Commandments and just putting it out there for him to lead him to, to look at the commandments. It's, the commandments are sort of like a mirror. See, Jesus was leading him into honestly assess his standing before God by bringing in God's law, by the commandments. See, the Ten Commandments, uh, the purpose was not to save you. This isn't how, how you find salvation, but really to show you the standard of what's right and wrong. I mean, we don't know what's right and wrong. We don't know what's sin or not. And have we sinned against God? Well, here's the commandments. They tell you if you've gone against God's law, if you've sinned or not. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Right? We don't know if we're really speeding unless you see the speed, the speed limit sign. Then you know, oh, I'm speeding. Yeah? Right? If you're going beyond what the sign tells you, then you know, oh, that's wrong. If there's no sign, hey, <laughs> you just drive. You just go. Well, that's the idea with the Ten Commandments. And Paul even talked about it in his epistles about, oh, it, it's really to show you what sin is. It's to show you what's right and what's wrong. So here's Jesus leading him, him into the standard of the law so he can compare himself with the law. Now, in verse 21, the young man, he, he responds, right? He goes, well, all these I've kept from my youth. He pridefully answers, you know, since I was young, I faithfully done all these things. You can hear that self-righteous tone in his voice, can't you? And and perhaps, you know what? Perhaps it's true. Perhaps he never did commit adultery. Yeah, he's faithful to his wife. He never murdered anyone, yeah. That action, you know. He he never stole from anyone. He never lied to hurt someone or bring them down, you know, that false witness. And he was Maybe he was never disrespectful to his parents. And he could say, yeah, you know what? I, I followed all these, all this. I mean, perhaps for the most part, generally, he's probably pretty good at, at all this. I think at this point, he thought he passed the test. He got the approval. I, can, I have eternal life. I have this. Understand, right, the religious leaders are very prideful about following the law. They, they would say, we perfectly follow the law. And here he showed he felt really good about himself. He probably showed that he really made his own destiny. All this I've done. Yeah, I'm, you know, it's, I must have eternal life then. Yeah? yeah, let's tell everyone, yes, I'm holy, I'm righteous kind of thing. But I was thinking, standing before the Son of God, Jesus, with the eyes of God staring at you, I mean, it has to maybe melt the pride, you know? It has to make you think, oh, wait, yeah, I've done it all, but I, I don't know. I, I wonder. You know what's interesting? In the parallel passage of Matthew chapter 19, verse 20, after he, he says, all these I have kept. You know what he tells? He asks Jesus, what do I still lack? So it could be maybe at that moment, his confidence of self-righteousness cracked. Maybe there was still something missing he felt like. Yeah, I've done all that. But it could be maybe he still felt like something was missing. There was still something empty. There was an empty hole inside him that he couldn't fill with the pride of his accomplishments. And you know what? That's what Jesus was leading him to. Leading him to the point where you're not so perfect. You pride yourself in that. 
you're like the other religious leaders that say, oh, we perfectly, you know, followed it. We're, we're holy. But this is what Jesus was bringing him to. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus was trying to help this young man hear what he needed to hear. His need for a Savior. That's what he was bringing him into. Jesus is trying to help this young man hear what he needed to hear, his need for a Savior. You know, next month, it's kind of a sad month. <laughs> you know what I'm going to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> because next month I turn 60. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, wow. I tell... I, I try and tell my family, hey, don't celebrate my birthday throughout the years. Don't celebrate my birthday because then maybe I won't get older. Yeah, I won't add a number, but I know it doesn't work that way. But you know, as I look back, I think about how, I mean, remember when we were young, you know, when I was young, I thought I knew everything. Yeah. And the older generation, ah, they don't know. They don't know. And so think about this young man. Maybe it's, you know, like this young man, you know, and I, I remember feeling like that. I get him, yeah, pridefully having this false sense of security and confidence and, and well, I, I get it. But I'm, I was blind to really thinking that I got my life together. As I get older, I look back and go, oh, I didn't know anything, yeah. No wonder they say there's wisdom, right, in your older years. I saw this cartoon once that lists these things. At 20, I couldn't wait to get on the road. At 30, I learned how to go from 0 to 60 in 8 seconds. At 40, I found I'd been holding the map upside down. At 50, I discovered I had the wrong map altogether. <laughs> I like that. We think we know. But you know what? Jesus knows what we really need to hear. And that's what he's bringing this young man into, what he needed to hear, his need for a Savior. And the battle is in our head, right? The battle is in our mind. We, we think we know, but we should know that God knows better. Verse 22 and 23 says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So Jesus leads him to the real need. He, it's what he's been missing in his life. He, Jesus is basically saying, our title, you're still missing one thing. One thing you still lack, Jesus says. You want to be saved? Here's what you do. Sell all that you have, give it all to the poor. Liquidate all your assets and go help the poor. And then, guess what? You'll have true riches then. You'll have the treasure of heaven. You'll have eternal life. You'll be saved. Your, your future will be secured. And you know what? Come and follow me. He's inviting the rich young man to come and be one of his disciples. Jesus is not saying like, oh, well, sell everything, become like a monk. No, that's not what he's saying. He, he's pinpointing the problem inside his heart. Well, Sadly, when he heard these things in verse 23, right, he became very sad. The Greek there, very sad, I mean, very, really makes it strong. He, he became extremely sorrowful. He got super, super bummed. Why? Well, it says here in verse 23, for he was extremely rich. So he, he was extremely sad because he was extremely rich. He enjoyed his lifestyle. He enjoyed what money brought. He enjoyed his status. He enjoyed his, his position. And if all that's gone, what's he going to do? Who is he going to be? I wonder, can you imagine? I wonder when Jesus said, sell all you have, give to the poor. Yeah, You have treasures in heaven. 
Yeah? It's not about what you have here on earth. It's what you'll have in heaven. And come and be one of my disciples. Perhaps when uh, Jesus said, be one of my disciples, come follow me. Maybe he looked at the disciples at that moment going, those guys? Look how they're dressed. They're poor. Yeah? They're, what? I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, imagine him looking at them. So, he was not willing to give up his riches and his lifestyle. I want you to notice something. The five commandments Jesus listed earlier, they, were, they all dealt with, in verse 20, they all dealt with uh, relationships with others. You know, half of the Ten Commandments are, are about relationship with other people, like love, love your neighbor, yeah? But the other part of the commandments is about our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. So really the commandments are, are twofold, about loving God and loving your neighbor. So the, first, the commandments he, he listed in verse 20 were all about relationships with others. And he's like, yeah, I got it covered. I get them. I'm okay with that. But then Jesus brought him, challenged him, tested him on really the first commandment. And the young man failed. That first commandment, what's commandment number one? You shall have no other gods before me. What was his God? The wealth, the riches, the lifestyle, his position, everything, yeah? That money had brought. So we see here the second thing is that Jesus told him what he needed to hear was his riches are the idol keeping him from embracing saving faith. You want eternal life? You really want to secure your future? You want salvation? You've got to get rid of that idol. That's what he was telling him. And what, what's his idol? The riches, the wealth he held on to. And so Jesus said, get rid of the idol. How? Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Bless them. Yeah? And follow me. But he couldn't let go of that idol. So Jesus told him what he needed to hear. His riches are the idol, keeping him from embracing, saving faith. Years ago in the hill country of Texas, a mother lost her life needlessly during a, a big flash flood, a storm that came in. And uh, in the news, the daughter had shared, my mother did not climb the tree with us. She lost her way before we got um, before we got to the tree. See, she would not let go of her purse with those papers in it. The daughter went on to say the family was trying to make a chain to reach her in the water, but mother had all those insurance papers in her hands and wouldn't let go, so she just washed away. guess the insurance papers must have been worth something, and she was not willing to lose that, and she lost her life, and she was not saved. Well, that's like this rich young ruler. What he needed to hear was these riches, his wealth, his position, everything, his lifestyle, that was his idol before God. He put that before God. He broke the first commandment. So God was trying to show him his sin. He thought he was okay. He thought he was fine. we got to be challenged with that. Is money your idol? You may say, well, I don't have money. Yeah, but do you seek after money? Yeah. Do you, do you chase after money? Is money your idol? Is material things your idol? Is possessions your idol? This guy had many possessions, right? Is your lifestyle, your position, like you want to hold this lifestyle, everything, right? Maybe you left Jesus... Maybe you even left church or going to church because you didn't get the answer you wanted because it didn't line up with the idol that you have. Warren Wiersbe said, in spite of the fact that he came to the right person, asked the right questions, and received the right answer, he made the wrong decision. I like that. Yeah, It was all right there for him. Jesus, God was right there. He asked the right question. Yeah, God gave him the answer, that, a way for him to be saved, but he made the wrong decision. Are we like that? 
We're holding on to that idol so tight, yeah, so tight that we lose it all, really. So here's this rich young ruler, still missing one thing. He came to Jesus because he wanted to hear what he wanted to hear, but Jesus gave him what he needed to hear. And then we go on, number three in our outline, what he should have found. Jesus talks about what he should have found, verse 24 through 27. But first of all, let's look at verse 24 through 26. Jesus, here in verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have well to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And we'll stop right there. So you can see the young man's confidence just melts away into sadness. He comes all proud. Yeah, hey, Jesus, yeah, yeah, confirm it in my life. Yeah, I'm, you know, how can I have eternal life? I've done this, right? Yeah, all that. But he, it melts into sadness. So Jesus makes this comment. How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God, or to be saved. See, the problem is riches can make you confident about yourself and not dependent on God. Wealth can easily make you think you're okay, but you're really not okay spiritually. So Jesus adds, look, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man or a rich person to be saved. Now, imagine the camel, which back then uh, in ancient times in the East there, they, that was like, that's the biggest animal they know of, yeah? To go through the eye of a needle? What would you think? No way! No way. Now, some interpret this about the camel going to, through a needle. They actually interpret this that um, there's... There, well, you know, back then there was, there was this passageway called the Needle Gate. And it was so low that camels can only pass on their knees. So if you're humble and you get on your knees, then you can get through. And so it's okay, you know, you, it, it, it's all right, you know, to have riches. And, and they say, you know, so it's possible for a rich person to be saved. But the problem with that is when Jesus said this, what we're reading here in verse 25, the problem is there was no needle gate at that time. It wasn't made yet. Besides that, the Greek word for needle here is actually sewing, a sewing needle. So Jesus is actually quoting this proverb or a saying of that day. I mean, people are saying, oh, you know, that would be easier for a camel to go through a needle. In other words, that's impossible. It's just a saying. So Jesus brings that into what he's talking about, about a rich person. About, hey, you know what, uh, uh, like this uh, rich young ruler here, uh, it, it's Possible, you know, basically. It's difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And that actually makes sense that Jesus is really saying it's impossible because in verse 26, the people say, well, then who can be saved? Yeah? In other words, if the rich aren't saved, who can be? Now you have to understand the background of that back then. It was believed that the wealthy and rich people are the saved ones. For sure. That, that If they have riches, that confirms they're going to heaven, that they have eternal life. Because God has favor on their life. And if God has favor on their life, and then they have wealth. And if they have wealth, that means that equals salvation. Now understand, it's not that a rich person will never be able to be saved, or if you're rich, you're not saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. But the wealthy, either the wealthy or the poor, who rely upon themselves can never be saved. That, that, that's the idea here. So then Jesus says in verse 27, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
So understand what he's talking about here. In verse 27, uh, in context of salvation, of eternal life, right? People in that society thought the rich are saved. They have eternal life. But if Jesus is saying it's difficult for those guys, and they're going, wait, what? I don't understand. I thought they were the saved ones. You know, you're saying it's impossible, but Jesus is saying, hey, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Man cannot in no way do anything to save themselves. That's what he's saying. It's impossible. There's no way for any human being to live perfectly enough to the standards of the commandments and not have one sin, yeah, so that then they could enter into heaven. No one's that. No one. It's impossible. But, Jesus is saying, it is possible with God. God can do what man cannot do. It is God who saves a person. Do you understand that? So verse 27 is really talking about salvation. It's impossible for a person to save himself, to do enough good works, to follow the commandments and all this, to merit himself into heaven because one sin is going to keep you out. It's going to lock the door on you. It's impossible. But with God, it's possible because when God does the work, when He does the saving, He saves. Human impossibilities are divine possibilities. What the human can't do, God can do. Listen to Titus 3.5. It says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't our own works, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're not saved by, it's not of works, right? It's not our own doing unless we vote. It's a gift of God, but we're saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in what He's done on the cross. Nothing of our own. Nothing that we've done. So, this rich young ruler, what he should have found is salvation in Jesus for only God can give eternal life. That's what he should have found. Jesus was standing right there in front of him. Jesus was challenging him. Jesus was, was, was pushing on the idol of his heart. He thought, well, I'm coming in. I've done this. I've done, I've done five of those. I'm fine. You know, I'm good. See, I'm, even God giving me riches. And that was the thinking of that day. That was his thinking. And he got all proud about that. But what he should have found is salvation in Jesus. That, oh, he should have realized that thing inside him that said I can't I can't sell this is the idol and that should have showed him that sin and it should have showed him that he needs saving so what he should have found is salvation in Jesus for only God can give eternal life only him he's the one he's the one that makes us he's the one who saves us it's him it's all of him I read of a CEO of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company pulled into a gas station. When he came out of the uh, convenience store after paying for the gas, he noticed his wife talking story with the service station attendant. Well, it turned out she knew him. In fact, back in high school, she used to date that man. Well, after he pumped the gas and everything, they're back in the car. They drove off, drove off. The CEO, feeling pretty good about himself, said to his wife. I bet I know what you're thinking. Wife's like, okay, what am I thinking? He said, I bet you're so glad you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, just a service station attendant. Well, the wife replies, says, no. I was thinking if I married him, he'd be a Fortune 500 CEO and you'd be a service station attendant. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> He's so proud that she came back with a good answer. Like, it's because of me, it's not you. Yeah. But we can get proud too. Our accomplishments, how good we think we are. Our, you know, oh, we must have a good standing before God, so God gives us favor. It's it's not us, it's God, right? Even in the life we have now after Christ, it's God, right? 
He's blessed us. He's given us the new life. He's given us the. Uh, he's made us a new creation. He's given us the ability, the power to do good, to not sin, victory over sin. He's given us the choice to say no to sin and to follow Him. It's Him. It's the Holy Spirit in us. I hope you aren't missing this. Only God can save. Only God can do that work. Only God saves by grace through faith. Think of it this way. Can you actually add anything to what Christ did on the cross? No. He said it is finished, right? Can, can we do any better than his sacrifice on the cross? No. Then why we do this? Why we add things? Yeah? It's God who saves us. And here's what that's what was wrong with this young man. He was still missing that one thing. Realizing that. Well, we've seen what he came because he, he, what he wanted to hear, wanted what he wanted to hear. Jesus gave him what he needed to hear. Jesus made a comment about what he should have found. And now number four in our outline, what he could have found. What he could have found. And here's the rest of our verses, verse 28 through 30. Uh, take a look here. We end with these verses and it says, And Peter said, he chimes in here, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So as we come to in here, Peter chimes in and says, Lord, see, look at us. We, we, we've given you everything. Yeah. So in contrast to this rich young ruler who must have just walked away sad, never really made that commitment to Jesus, never said, okay, I'll do that, I'll follow you, I'll sell what I have. He probably walked away, but Peter's like, Lord, we've, we've left our homes and, and we've followed you. We've, we, we've done that. We've sacrificed all. The word left here really means to leave behind. So they did what the rich young ruler was unwilling to do. And so Jesus says, truly I say unto you. In other words, what I'm about to say to you is official. Understand, truly, this is, this is what God is saying. God will keep his word. Anyone who left behind, basically, their house, their wife even, their family, their brothers, their parents, their children. Um, and understand when he's saying that, he's not saying like, Okay, just leave your family, your responsibilities. But he's really talking about the priority in your heart, yeah? That even those things are not idols in your life. Uh, for the disciples, they literally did that uh, as Jesus called them to. But we know uh, that, uh, like Peter was back at his house and things like that. So things worked out, but it was like his job, his ministry, everything like that. But understand, that's not Jesus isn't saying, "Oh, just leave everybody and go, go and you know, be a monk somewhere." No, that's not. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he's talking about the priority of your heart that you give over, that you submit everything in in your life into the hands of God. Say, oh, God, this is all yours. All I want is to follow you. All I want is to do your will. I want to make that sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. So anyone who really submits all, who, who, who puts God first in his life, nothing else, no idols anymore, yeah, he says anyone who does this will receive many times more. They will be rewarded. They will be blessed. They'll be given They'll be rewarded or blessed in this time, meaning in this life, your life on earth, and the age to come, your future life of eternal life, really, in heaven. So our last point is this. What, what this young, rich, rich young ruler could have had, what he could have found is much more than what earthly riches could have ever given him. That's what Jesus is saying. What he could have found is much more than what earthly riches could have ever given him. And, and that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Look, you guys are going to have more than anything, you, any riches of this world 
could give. C.H. Spurgeon, let me quote him again, he also said this, In the final account, it shall be found that no man has been a loser through giving up anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. So understand, the sacrifices you're making today for the kingdom's sake, yeah? for, for following God's will and not, not what you like, not what you want, yeah? but doing what God asks you to do, oh, there's great blessings in that. To do God's will, stay in God's, God's plan. God blesses that. Well, like this rich young ruler, we hold on to things sometimes, though, that never fill that emptiness inside. And and it never will fill that lack. Let me ask you tonight, have you been feeling like something is missing? I mean, even saying that you're a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, perhaps it's because you haven't really surrendered all of it to Jesus. It it seems weird, but the truth is, surrendering all is really well worth the sacrifice. Giving it up all to God, you know, it's going to bring back more. And so keep that in mind. Perhaps you've been chasing things. Maybe maybe even being a Christian, you've been chasing uh, a position or a certain ministry or or, or um, something, God, you're praying to God, oh, God, I wish it's this, I wish it's that, I wish we can have this. Oh, God, if we only had this kind of life, it would be perfect. God, it, babe, perhaps you've been chasing and chasing and chasing that. And then you're chasing, which I'm not saying they're not valid things. I'm not saying that uh, hopes and dreams isn't bad to have. But has those things become that idol in your life today? Are you willing to just be broken before God and say, God, I give up. Whatever you want. I give this dream over to you. I give this desire, what I want out of life, over to you. God, whatever you want, whatever it is, that's the best place to be. Because you know why? When we chase those things and we don't get it, We feel empty, right? We feel unfulfilled. And I'll tell you, even if you do get it, how how many people, wealthy people, we heard, you know, they reach the top of their career or actors or musicians and they're up at the top. They strove for it. They worked really hard for it. They reach the top and they still feel unfulfilled. And they try and fill it with other things, drugs and alcohol, whatever. Why? Because those things will never, never fill that emptiness. So why do we chase after that? Why do we keep going after that? When the answer is right here, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. So understand this, and I'll close with this quote by G. Campbell Morgan. He said, It is possible to have everything but lack one thing. And in the lack of one thing, to have nothing. It's so good. It's so good. Jesus is all we need. Jesus is all you ever need. So here's the story of the rich young ruler. Let's not be like that. Let's not be like him who is still missing one thing. And that's Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you've challenged us tonight. You're testing our hearts. God, if you were to take away that one thing, what's, what is that one thing in our heart that we strive for, that, we, we are, that are most on our minds, that we've been yearning for, praying for, hoping for? What, what is that one thing? Well, hopefully it's you, but if it's other than you, Lord, you're testing us. And you're saying, well, what if you give that up? Will you give that up? Will we be sad? Will we go away like this 
rich young ruler, when Jesus challenged him to give up his idol? Lord, we want to lay down those idols. We want to destroy them in our life because we know we will never be truly happy and content, fulfilled, and have peace in our life without you. We're just running in circles without you being number one. So God, forgive us when we stray. Forgive us, Lord, for putting idols before you, breaking the first commandment, not loving you with our whole heart, mind, strength, and soul, Lord. But we want to come back and look to you right now. For you are the answer in our life. You are the one who can help us. You're the one who gives us victory. You're the one who fulfills us. You are our peace. You are our joy. You are our life. You are our salvation. And so, Jesus, we, we come to you, to you alone tonight. And I pray for anyone right now that they would give their heart to you, that they would return to you, Lord that those who have never accepted you and maybe just been playing church, just doing the routine, the religion, the ritual. But tonight's the night, the time to give the heart totally over, to cast down the idols, to, to come to you and find true salvation. And I pray for all of us that maybe even wander and come back, wander and come back during the day where... We, we, we go take care of idols and then at night remember, oh, oh. Or we come on Sunday and go, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we go back, God, may we destroy those idols. May we give up, put into your hands those things that have been, that replace you many times. But God, you come. You sit on the throne of our hearts. You be our all in all, Lord. For we understand today truly that to lay treasures in heaven is to put you first, to love you supremely, God, to submit everything to you and to obey what you say. For God is speaking tonight. May we listen to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for saving us, Lord, from sin. And I thank you most of all that you saved me from myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.